Welcome to this Tuesday conversation of Born in Trouble of Tuesday Talk. And we have with us today, joining us, of course, the intense Mr. Robert Brooks. Wildly intense. Wildly intense. Wildly intense. And if you're not familiar with our Tuesday Talk segments, they're um, a little bit different than our normal Thursday fair where we'll just basically take on any topic with no type of filters and no type of sometimes couth whatsoever. And I am usually the leader of that, but these conversations on Tuesday are usually a lot stronger as far as content is concerned, and it's usually based upon how strong our guest is. And returning today, we have another one of our guests, Dr. Kimya Naru-Dennis. I don't even know if that applause was for you or whether it was for me pronouncing your name properly. It was for you, because you worked hard. You sweated. Thank you. I I did, I did. So today, seriously, what we're going to talk about is men's mental health right now, which is a very serious topic, especially with black men in the United States today. All of the things that we go through, that we put through, or that black people are basically have set in front of them the obstacles that we have in front of us. And Dr. Dennis is very well versed in the subject with her Diversity 365 organization and a number of other things that she does with the LGBTQ community. And I, you always correct me. I'm surprised you didn't correct me there. And we're just going to get directly into it today. What is it? about men's mental health today. What is it about black men and mental health that has struck a nerve and a chord that a lot of people are picking up on the conversation right now and a lot of brothers hopefully are reaching out? Yes. So first, can I just say on my side, it says not recording. So I just want to No, you're fine. Not on your side. No, okay. we, we record here. I'm recording okay. here. Just, I'm, I'm just here to help. No problem. There you go. There you go. You're starting off on the right. You're starting off on the right, on the right foot, right there. Yes. Yeah, so these discussions of black men and black boys in mental health, it's it's a daily discussion. There's actually organizations locally, nationally, and globally focus on black boys and black men. And I, I you know, my family is mostly men, and they're all black. And so this is just what I do. And when I fuss at black men and black boys, it's because I need y'all to understand that black girls and black women, we've been taught to protect y'all, even if it gets on y'all's nerves, but protect y'all. And so that's what we do. When I have a sister... And she was always, like, protecting me. It's always that sibling thing. We punch each other, but you better not punch me. And vice versa. As it gets old, she's older than me. As we get older, Rob knows my sister very well, Miss Adrian. Lots of respect. And a lot of times what happens with black men and black women, especially today, conversations are so divisive. They're so, like, they're so aggressive between each other and like men are always taught to kind of hold their words you know not me and rob you can attest to this because you're a communications professional so it's like that's never been something that's really going to hold you down not being able to express yourself or discuss your feelings but a lot of black men do actually go through that and 
how do you basically, when it comes to like, you know, we've had conversations before and your conversations when you discuss things in regards to women and men and how certain words have been termed violent, certain phrases are violence towards women, but men don't really have a um, command of the language like women, like women generally do. A woman will cut you down, you know, break you down. And men aren't really very, in most cases, in most instances, they're ill-equipped to actually respond to that in a positive way. Do you think that that plays any part of it? And this is not in any way, shape, or form to say that the men don't deserve a lot of that cutting that comes through. We're mean to each other, unfortunately. And that's one of the things that we want to do here at Born in Trouble. We want to try to get some of these mean conversations that we're having amongst each other, people that should be allies. How do we get to this point where we're actually all talking to one another? And how can men deal with that? Because men are sensitive. They don't want to admit it, but they're sensitive. Rob, you have something you want to say? Or? Yes. I would. The first thing I would say is take your ass to therapy. <laughs> Go and talk to somebody. Like, let's stop stigmatizing therapy. Let's stop acting like talking to somebody is crazy. It makes you soft. It does not. Yes. Like, that is that is the number one thing because we are... So I'll use my, my own personal situation. And, you know, John knows my people, so he got to see some of this firsthand. My, I grew up in a family of alcoholics, you know? My uncles, two of my uncles were Vietnam veterans. My grandfather was a career Navy man. He fought in every war, starting with World War II. Like, these brothers had all seen stuff that they could not talk about, that they would awake with nightmares about. But they sat there and and raised children. And my father was the baby of the family. He did not go to war. So he felt like he had to prove that he was just as tough as his brothers who did go to war. So there was a lot of shit talking going on in my house. And there was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of verbal aggression that quickly became physical aggression as the alcohol started to to build up in their systems. Mm. So it was not unusual at a family party for somebody to get thrown out a window, for somebody to be heaving, you know, slate stones at somebody else. And all of that then gets passed down to the next generation. So when I was younger, I was angry for no reason. I didn't even understand why I was angry and why I was quick to start hollering at somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet I felt like it was against my nature, but I could, there was no way for me to sort of reconcile because heaven forbid that was truly against your nature, the way that I was raised, Mm. you know, because then you were back then they would, they would label you with the F word, Mm. which is, you know, and even another Avenue that we know it's a whole other day of conversation. Mm. And so the first thing we got to do is admit that we are human beings before anything, before any of the other labels, we're human beings and human beings need uh, love and attention that many of us did not get the proper amount of growing up. And so we need to figure that out, talk to somebody and, and learn to, and build the tool, the skill set to communicate and get along in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, and the answer to everything is not throw up your hands. Mm. Or you shoot know, your guns. With this, with it, exactly. With this or generation now, it's shoot your guns. When, I, when we were growing up, it was throw your hands. Now, you know, right. Is put your guns in there. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So, Dr. Kimia, to like expand upon what Rob just said, how do you go about getting these resources to people? Like, Rob, you can afford to go to therapy. Have you ever gone to therapy before? Me? Yeah. Every three weeks. Okay. So, the Rob is... Since 2010. Mm. Thank you, Rob. And I do weekly therapy. Yeah. So... How do we get to these resources to people like Rob? You can afford therapy. How do we get these resources to people who really, really need it? You really need it, too. And all of us, at certain times, we need someone to talk to and express our feelings to. For me, Rob is is my therapist. He's been my therapist for years. Okay? Mm -hmm. When I go through things and I have issues and there were things that I would never tell to anyone else, I would speak to this brother right here, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that we had this conversation today. You know, because mm-hmm. Rob has fulfilled that role, and even if it was just a matter of me getting certain things off my chest that I can't share with anyone else. So Rob is yep. like, you know, he's a keeper of many of my secrets to a certain extent and everything. But He's a keeper. Yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how do we... How do we get these resources? How do we get black men to actually discuss these things and seek help? How do they find you? So first, I'm not a licensed therapist. What I do, and I've done this for many years in various cities and states, because I connect with our people, black folks everywhere we exist. What I do is I do vendor tables to hand out just lists of therapy sheets, de-stressing events, ways to barely reduce anxieties, and then lists of organizations to contact to get information. So specifically for black men and therapists, I want black men to understand you don't have to have health insurance all the time. There are community groups that are, and these are black folks. So when I say community group, I want black folks to know There are black people who are spending money out of their own pocket and have sacrificed a lot for our people. Mm. You better better thank our people and invest in our people. There's no such thing as white ally and all the other stuff. Focus on our people. Don't be donating money to like these mainstream mental health suicide prevention organizations. There's literally black mental health groups, black suicide prevention groups, black therapy groups that are struggling for money because you go into them popular groups that they don't care about black people. Mm. We are blackface on their website. And I've been on their website where they put my photo up there and I've had to tell them to take it off because I know they're not doing anything. Mm. So that's rule number one. Just because when something's the most popular, it usually means it's not reaching us. What it does is it uses us as data for grant funds. They get a lot of grants. But then when they do their assessments and quarterly reports for grants, what they'll say is, we did a presentation in a black church. But when black people in communities ask them, well, how did you explain mental health to black folks? They can't explain it adequately, Mm. which means they don't care about reaching us. They'll have black therapists doing work with them, but even the black therapists don't challenge them. So that's why I do what I do. I hold all people accountable, including the black folks who are with these groups for prestige rankings. So let me ask you, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I just want to interrupt you and ask you a question. Do you think that the reason why they don't perform well with black people is because they're ill-educated or because they're um, ill-educated about how to deal with 
black people care. specifically, or they don't. Part of they a don't large care. part of it is they don't care. Five centuries later, and black folks insist on pretending white people and other anti-black people don't know. They literally mm. have centuries. We've written black folk around the world. We've written entire books. My dad will explain to people we've done trainings about racial justice since the 1960s. Mm. Before these categories, DEI, DNI, anti-racism, before white people's bestseller lists of 1619 Project existed, black folks have explained this to white people. Mm. So you think that the topic makes them uncomfortable? And it's not, because what I'm getting is, if I'm drawing a conclusion, is that the topic is uncomfortable to them. They're not willing to get into it, or they're either not willing, or they're, um, it's not a part of their goal to get into it, to actually heal you as a black man, as a black person. I uncomfortable. Uh, that's why I, I put these all in the same category. Police, politicians, medical and health professionals, school decision makers, they're all in the same category. These are all people who bank on black people not having other resources. So those of us who had invested our entire lives and careers in providing foundation for black people to not need police, to not need politicians, to not have to always go to medical and health professionals who are at the most popular medical and health resources. We're considered outsiders because we're taking away the funding. We're taking away their prestige rankings. Their prestige rankings and funding are not based on how many black people are dying because of their services, right? Like places like Johns Hopkins University here in Baltimore, where I live. Despite the fact that we have Henrietta Lack, where Henrietta Lack's remains are still used for white people's laboratory experiments, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Johns Hopkins University has bought up land and buildings and black people have complained, 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 complained about the implications of that, Johns Hopkins still gets funding. They still have these sub parts that include nonprofit spectrums. They still were celebrated throughout COVID as getting people vaccinated in a predominantly black city. So this is centuries what happens. So this is why I want black men to understand you don't need health insurance, but what you need is to focus on who's in the community actually doing work. Is there a barbershop that's actually having these real discussions. There are a lot of black men barbershops that are having therapy sessions. I can give a shout out to TNAT Holistic Wellness Center here in Baltimore, where they actually do a black men support group and they also do a substance use group. So Dr. Dennis Winkler here, TNAT, they're also Pan-African as I am, and Holistic Wellness Center, they tell black men, come on in, come to our support group. The whole idea is to get black men to understand that, number one, literally every human who has ever existed has had some kind of mental illness component. So we always have to explain that because as Africans, many of us are taught that we were perfect, just chilling in Africa, hugging each other until white folks showed up. And that's not factual. Okay. Many health conditions existed for thousands of years around the world. Yes, some were brought around the world because of the trade industry, colonialism, terrorism, and slavery. But mental illness, that's something that existed before colonialism. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different ways that people explain mental illness, like people who have schizophrenia, hearing voices, they might say it's spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you'll see some people who in various religions and spiritualities will say they hear the voices. And this doesn't take away the spiritual realm, but it is another way of looking at how people can explain something that can actually be a mental illness. Mm. So I want black men to understand there are a lot of black men who will say that they figured out how to handle their own anxiety. How many black men handle it is smoking, drinking, um, smoking weed, which I do believe it should be legal, but I want black men to understand if you wake up smoking all day, every day, you're doing it for something other than enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I still was in North Carolina, I had a black man who told me that that was his concern. He went from loving marijuana to actually depending on it, not because it was an addiction, but because he did not know how to deal with his sadness without it. So I actually took them to a mental health service and they did not even know how to respond to him. Number one, because he's a black man. Number two, because they wanted to preach about the problem with marijuana. Mm. And and part three is that they didn't want to acknowledge the factors that put upon his sadness, which is basically all institutional. They didn't want to acknowledge those facts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like literally, most mental health professionals, and this is around the world, they go based on the DSM, the Diagnostical Statistical Model, right? Which is it's just like going based on the BMI, Body Mass Index. This is all very outdated stuff. It's very European white. Mm-hmm. And um, quote-unquote homosexuality used to be in DSM, right? And that was changed. But unfortunately, they don't understand that changing that means that most of this actually has to be changed. Mm. Because it's not only outdated, but it's not any component of holistic health. We have thousands of years of holistic African health, holistic Asian health, indigenous health, even European forms of health and medicine, right? Mm -hmm. In which we don't use this category to say, oh, you must have a mental illness. We don't label everything a mental illness. Mm. But unfortunately, if you go to a counselor who considers everything that does not make sense to them to be a mental illness, then yes, everyone will be not just having a mental illness, but there are many counselors who want to quickly put everyone on a medication. So that's why I tell black men, number one, you don't have to have health insurance. There are places where you can go without that, but you want to specifically request a black man who specializes in like an African holistic an Asian indigenous holistic approach in which we can talk about meditation, sage. If you have to go on medication, put me on the lowest dose and then we can do a follow-up to see if I need it more. And Mr. Rob, you were about to say something. I I just, the whole medicine piece, I I know too many people who are medicated for no reason, really. There's no reason that that this person could not have meditated, uh, could have not found a mindful way to get through I mean, part of the American medical model, period, is to put folks on drugs because there's a lot of kickbacks in that industry. There's a lot of profit for doctors who put people on medicines. So you always have to be aware of that. And two, they're not educated properly in mindfulness and uh, those type of mental practices to even advise you on. So half the time, they're just 
You got this? They're, they're looking for the quick medical diagnostic they have to put on the, the form for the insurance company. Yep. And then what's the drug that goes with that? Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. that's harmful. That's, that's, yeah. I got a buddy, he's on antidepressants. Mm. And he's trying to back off them now. So he's going through a little bit. He's t- he stopped his antidepressants like a week ago. And he's going through it a little bit right now because he's, his body's withdrawing from this chemical that he's been putting mm-hmm. in for 10 years. I think it's interesting that both of you speak to the same topic, but different ends of the spectrum. You're speaking about, you, Dr. Kimia, you're talking about how you can actually go out and find help in your community and an actual solution to the problem. Whereas, Rob, you're discussing, I'm assuming that your friend is a black is a black friend. It's a black guy you're referring to? Yeah. Okay. And this is someone with yeah. insurance and is basically in the same, in the same, in that same cycle. And the first thing that they do is they throw drugs at the problem. And to expand it a little bit wider, that's like the way that the United States really deals with mental health issues now is that they medicate people. And there's no difference in it. Whereas now, that's not really what's, that's a, that's really what ails us to a certain extent as a country. It's lazy. It's lazy psychology. It's laziness with avoiding the problem and dealing with the problem. And as a black male, bring women into the conversation. It's not really safe for you to walk around medicated in this world in which we live. It's not, it's never been, it's not a safe thing for you to walk around and not be cognizant of your surroundings because of an issue that you can actually, that you would probably be able to sit down with a therapist and work your way through eventually. But there's a lot of layers that need to be worked through, and there's a lot of work in a lot of cases. Uh, there's there's a lot of work, but I mean, the biggest layer is just getting people to admit that, hey, there is an issue. Because I, I was involved with someone years ago, and this person could use some therapy, uh, but they're never going to get it. Because mm-hmm. to them, admitting that they need to go to therapy means admitting that their mother did something wrong, oh. that their mother was not all that they claimed them to be, thought they were, whatever. Mm-hmm. So they would rather be sick and dealing with this stuff than having to admit, hey, my mother was actually a human being who did the best that she could at that time with what she knew. But unfortunately, when we look back and, and review the tapes, she really didn't know a whole lot. So... Mm-hmm. You know, it was what it was. And that's not, that shouldn't be criminal to say. Thank you for saying that. So that actually really pertains to most black boys and most black men. So when we talk about the roles of black fathers and other black men as role models and mentors, right? This idea that a lot of black boys and a lot of black men do not have a black man role model. Well, I mean, historically and currently, that happens for various reasons. Of course, we can talk about slavery, industrial revolution, the prison industry, unemployment. We can talk about the welfare system that says that there can't be two able health adults in the same household. You you can talk about all that. But I think it's also important that we have to debunk some of that. There are black men who are doing some very important support for black boys and other black men. I think one problem is that that oftentimes is delivered in a very intellectual, elitist, classist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist way. 
and I've been very critical of a lot of these black boys organizations and black men organizations that will say, we're treating you how to be a man, that kind of thing. And it's in a very, like, everyone wants to be Mr. T kind of components. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if y'all don't sit y'all asses down somewhere, you know, just calm down. So there, thankfully, there are a few that include health and mental health and allow black boys and black men to cry. But a lot of these are like Billy Badass preface, like, don't come here soft. And I think that that's just something that black boys and black men as well need to self-reflect on that. If that's not what you want, after, because like as black girls and black women, we're told that people are going to keep messing us up until we speak out, Mm. right? Like we're literally told unless we tell people no, they're going to keep messing us up. But unfortunately, black boys and black men, despite this like masculine assertiveness that you all are taught, you still are taught oftentimes to comply to a lot of messed up stuff, including when it comes from the women in your life. Being a mama don't mean she know what she talking about, but so many mama's boys will comply with their mama. She don't know what she talking about. There's so much on the male side, like everything go the next step for everything is violence historically you know that you go all the way back to like buck breaking and stuff like that like everything becomes violent really quick and once again i grew up in a group with a group of alcoholics they didn't mean to be but they flew off the handle quickly mm-hmm. and i didn't understand until i was in my 30s like oh yeah this sucks when i'm coming down when i'm in that middle i'm not up but i'm not down i'm short i'm just short with people and so they were you know, there's a lot of that. So everything becomes violent. So now, am I? Is this gonna? Is this gonna be something that I'm gonna escalate to violence? Is this gonna be something that I'll probably hold my tongue here? Why? Because I'm not sure where that person is at in their development. But more than likely, their next step is violence. Right. Well, you know, a lot of black men aren't raised. Like I had a mother and a father. My father wasn't around too much. My father was a lot like Rob's uncle and his father, whereas he was an alcoholic most of my, my time growing up. The only time he stopped drinking alcohol was once he got into an accident and he ended up staying in the hospital for a very long time. So couldn't get alcohol there. He came out. He was sober. Didn't change his personality whatsoever. But at least we didn't have to worry about all of those other things that were occurring in the house that you grow up with. Those macho nights of coming in under the guise of basically pounding your chest and doing whatever it is that at that point in time. But a lot of these men are growing up in matriarchal homes. And a lot of the moms, unfortunately, and I've seen it firsthand... I won't say, I don't want to put anybody on blast or anyone who, if you're not in the conversation, I don't want to pull you into the conversation without your permission. Okay, so I'll just leave it out of that, at that. But a lot of the moms, like what you were discussing about you're supposed to be like, be a man, man up. That's what a lot of the, the moms, and I've seen this, tell the boys as well, like, you're a man, man up. And then now it becomes that boy is to please his mom. He's like looking for a strength that she never imbued into him. How do we tell people, you have men and women that are raising kids, sometimes together, sometimes separately. How do we get to these people, to our black men, to let them know, like Rob said, that, you know, your father may have been wrong. 
your mother may have been wrong. How do you start that conversation with the black man to let them know that there may be something with how you were taught that's causing you this pain? And that's where we're going to have to begin at. We're going to have to break that. It doesn't mean that your parent loved you any less or any more, but it just means that they were wrong. You know, is it okay well, for it, us? It, is it, it okay can, for it anyone to be wrong? That as well. How, what was that? Yeah. I'm sorry. It can also mean that the parent did not love them as much as people assume. I mean, this is that's the thing about therapy, right? Um, as as Mr. Rob will let you know, in therapy, if you come in defensive and you think you're about to fight a therapist, you, you're going to feel some type of way. It's true, though, right? Because a lot of people will come into therapy session because they think they figured it out, so they just there. They just there. <laughs> and then the therapist will be patient with you. Like, maybe the first, second session, they'll let you have your moments. Third, fourth session, and I'm talking about black therapists. Third, fourth session, they're going to let you know how to breathe easy. Because most good, actually every good therapist has their own therapist. And they'll let you know. Like black therapists who know what they're doing, they will talk to you about their own therapy sessions that they get for themselves. Because there's every single person has some stuff with them. They have some stuff that they learned that they were taught by their family that's false. But they were told to believe it because grandma said and as a professor, I be having to tell students this all the time. You come into my class, I do not care what your grandma taught you. I, I've had to tell older black women who are my students because they would say things like, well, I know how to fix everything for my child because I'm the mama. We know how to fix everything. And I have to explain, black women do not know how to fix as much stuff as black women claim. Mm. You know how to cover up some stuff. You know, black folk for five centuries, as it pertains to racial injustices, we've had to learn how to accommodate, mm. cover up. That's how we learn how to season up some chitlin. Shit became healthy, <laughs> right? Right. Make the worst. You ain't gonna give the me worst. Some, you ain't gonna put no. The worst tastes good. Chitlin say this is now a healthy di- a dish. So I just always have to have black folk understand, like the logic that you've now created. Like a lot of times black women will say, girl, when my when my baby gets sick, I just give them this. And that's what grandma gave us, vodka and orange juice. And that just fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, like, listen here. Like, listen here. I mean, that's it's, it's embedded in a lot. Like, that's like thousands of years of cultures in which you had like hardcore liquor you ain't have medicine, so of course you would use a whole bunch of stuff to fix a whole bunch of stuff. It wasn't curing stuff necessarily, but if it's if it's thirty percent alcohol, and you know, mil- y'all military folks know all about this, don't y'all? When it's strong alcohol, right. you got you can have your arm cut off, and you feeling all right. You know what I'm saying? And so I just need people to understand that that's the difference between having to adjust to horrible stuff. And to actually have cures for horrible stuff. And so many black folk have been brainwashed all their life. They'll blame white people for that part, though. That's the interesting part. I say this is where you have to self-reflect. Because white folk ain't do that part. Mm. Grandma did that. Grandpa did that. Your great aunt did that. Your mama did that. Your daddy, maybe your brother did that. You did that to yourself, whatever the case is, but it can't always be something that's like this kind of abstract causal factor. 
Because a therapist will tell you, if you always want to say it's an abstract causal factor or somebody else's fault, you're going to spend the rest of your life dreaming about how to fix problems and never address problems. And that's what black men specifically have to think about. I think that's a, I think that's interesting when you think about it in terms of like even Robert and I we always used to have a joke you know when you talk about black families we meet people and we would see how weird their family was whatever was going on and we would say the simple joke you know black family means dysfunctional you know and that's a way for you to basically you know we make light of it we make human how even this show is mostly dealing with a lot of black trauma and black pain in a more humorous way. You know, we laugh about it. We make good points about what we're talking about it, but we laugh at the same time in order to make the pain almost acceptable, to make it, to condense it and put it out there in a form that you can understand that's like, you know what, you can laugh at it, but you know what, ah, it's kind of fucked up. You know? Yeah. But, you know, and the, but the wider thing is, to, to broaden it out a little bit, almost all families are dysfunctional, regardless of color, regardless of where they're from. Like, nobody knows what they're, what they're doing, really. Like, yo, 500 years point. ago, you, you know, 300 years ago, you're owning humans. Clearly, you have a flaw in your system that is going to show in other parts, that is going to come out in other parts. It wasn't just like, oh, they had a hole in their soul when, when, in regards to black people. They had a hole in their soul regarding people. And so, mm. you know, they were spreading dysfunction throughout their own communities. Mm. You know, wasn't just, they weren't just sharing with us. They were spreading it throughout their own communities. Mm. That's true. And that's why I always tell black folks to stop using the terminologies of first world, second world, third world. Not the original one created by Mao, but the one that the white man changed into a meaning of civilization and and power. So I always tell people, don't call America the most powerful nation and all the other nonsense. Because like Mr. Rob is saying, humans... Have, Thousands of years of human problems. Every family has problems. A lot of times people pretend that wealthy families are like happy. Mm. Like you can be in a mansion. And this is with the work that I do. I talk about issues of substance use, suicide, mental illness, homicide. It happens in these mansions too. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see the police survey. They're not going to have helicopter surveillance like they do in in the black part of city, but it's these people in mansions are harming themselves and harming each other as well. There, it's, it's not it's not just white collar crime like you know hacking websites like white people want to depict it. It's literally bad stuff happening. Well, what you're you're an educated woman. What a lot of other people, and you've come into contact with a lot of those people. Same with Robin. Same with me in a different in a different way. And what a lot of people don't, a lot of black, that you guys make faces at that. But the truth of the matter is that a lot of black people that you see online on the internet and that you would meet in Baltimore, they don't interact with white people. They're not interested in interacting with white people. And some of them are, some of them for good reasons, some of them for bad reasons, some of them for the right reasons or whatever their reasons are. You don't have to interact with people that you don't want to. It's not an indictment one way or the other. You don't have to do anything that you don't wish to do. But the point of being is that, you know, the same way that ignorance is what builds up their assumptions as to what you are, it also builds up an assumption as to what their lives are. And the reason why I mention it like that is because a lot of black people aspire to white things. 
They aspire to white money. They aspire to white success. They aspire, but they don't realize that those things, once you get there, if you're in that situation, you find yourself, if you do, if you are that one person that actually gets into that space, you find yourself surrounded by somewhat similar and different problems simultaneously. And now you're ill-equipped to handle it because you have very few people that you can speak to that are going through your experiences on this level. So we have to once again go out and we seek each other out. We seek out other people on that level who have made that level of success. See, I thought I was going to mess that one up. I could tell by your faces. But I actually no, mean... So, <laughs> so, so I will say that there are black... So I explain, and they're part of black organizations that address financial development. So being wealthy does not require becoming a millionaire. I always tell people... Being a millionaire does not sound exciting and happy to me. Like living in a mansion, I think, is a very insulting to stolen land. Black folks mm. didn't steal the land, of course. White people stole it. But I just think it's stupid to build mansions on stolen land. What's the point of having a mansion? It doesn't make sense. So I always tell black folks that aspiring to be successful should never use white people and particularly millionaire white people as the model. And that's also something that I'm going to bring this back to black men therapy. Black men therapists in particular will oftentimes speak with black men about this type of topic. It might sound frivolous to a lot of people, but as you all know, a lot of black men, they gauge their success on like meaningless things Mm. that they've like, they've seen images, places of what success means. And it's not really like, I used to tutor black men football players and they really thought they was going to NFL. When I used to tell them, y'all not going, they used to get mad at me. And then years later, they emailed me and they were like, thank you for telling us the truth. And they became teachers and other wonderful things like lawyers. I'm like, why would y'all want to work for white folk to, to make them billionaires even more? Like, why would you want to do that? And risking your health, you know? And, and so, so many black men fall for those false standards of success and that's actually what black men therapists help black men to address like how do you know what your success is how do you know what your dreams are are you going based on your family telling you to make money are you going based on you saw a stupid tv show that says this mansion is success you know how do you gauge success and how can we tear that down so that as a grown-ass black man you can reshape it to reshape yourself and your happiness will not be based on having to compare yourself to everyone. Yes. But that is that is a huge American issue right now. Like the types of images that we are consuming and the things that we are uh, holding up as successful. All these all these, you know, the conversation online is always about getting the bag. Mm-hmm. You gotta get the bag. What's in that bag? That mm-hmm. bag gonna weigh you down and make you unable to move, but people don't they, they see the images, they just aspire to these images, and they don't know everything that goes behind it. And, and they really don't even know why they want it. I mean, you know, I, you know, for me, I know I didn't want to be poor anymore. But when I started climbing and I started seeing people around me, the first one of the first things I realized is that no matter how much p- money people make, almost everybody lives up to their number. Mm. Like, if money is your goal, then there is no such thing as enough. Mm. And that means that you're never going to enjoy it, yeah. you know, because you're always trying to find a way. You're always trying to find another hustle to make another, like, at a certain point, like, oh, sit back, 
breathe. Like yeah. have a glass of wine with some people you love. Yes. And, and enjoy it. But you can if you're always looking for the next I gotta get that next deal. I gotta get that and that's the all that stuff. And and that's the worst part of it because like what people don't realize is that as you climb, the level of people that you meet, you could say that it's a different class of people. You could say it's a better class of people. But um that's really based yeah. upon how you quantify better. You know, a lot of times if there's someone that, if there's like, for example, I've seen these things where women say that they won't date a man who doesn't make, who makes like $100,000 a year because it's not enough money because, you know, all based upon all these superficial things. And you've got men who say they won't date a woman who doesn't like, you know, make X amount of dollars and like dress like and carry herself in this way. And these are all superficial things that really have nothing to do with the conversation that we can have. Have at lunch, which could be a great conversation, and the things that we want to share amongst each other and how we build with one another. And if we're not building with one another in the proper way, then that money isn't going to do you any good. It really isn't. It's just like it's just transitory. I always look at money as it comes and goes and everything. And whatever it is, it's like I, I, I like having money when I have it and I enjoy it. When I don't have it, I still am. Ha- I'm still like blessed with the friends and the people that I know that are around me, and that's what makes my life rich. Not you yeah. know how much I have in the bank at a, at any particular time, and everything. Rob, yeah. you make me a rich man. Doctor Kimia, you make me a rich man. You know because we can well, sit here and we can build with each what other. Wow. <laughs> Your percentage would your percentage is given out in in merits of gratitude. And t-shirts. And t-shirts, right? Some of these t-shirts, yo. Yeah, we gotta. Yeah, yeah, I do. Gotta get some of those t-shirts. It's summertime. If you don't have, you buy black cannabis joints. But listen, um, I wear it during the winter. I be wearing it during the winter with the leather coat. Yo, they they dope. I I love the shirts because I love wearing them out here on Long Island because I love seeing the reactions of people when I go to the grocery store, and I got this big black woman with the afro. On my on my on my T-shirt talking about buy black cannabis and it's legal. So that's what I'm doing. So, Doctor, go ahead. I'm gonna let you wrap it up. No, I'm gonna let you wrap it up. Okay, I will wrap. See, I was gonna actually make a rap reference. There (laughs) actually are some really good black therapists who love the way I connect old hip hop to black mental health. So, because whole conversation, I'm thinking of some like, you know, money, power, respect. It's like there's so many ways that we can actually reach our people and let our people know this is not a place of formality. Black men, you can find places where you can come in, be exactly who you are. If you're annoying and aggressive, you will be calmed down because you're not going to come in scaring folks. (laughs) 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 You know what I'm saying? Um, But... There are black men therapy groups, support groups, including some barbershops in nearly every city. You didn't hear about them. Why? Because you looking in the wrong place. Mm. You looking on social media. You looking, you know, you looking in the wrong place. You What's the right the place? place. You look, I'm sorry? What's the right place? What's the, What's right, the place? right place? So this is why I always... Well, of course, when I do vendor tables, I usually will have lists of local groups. So this is why I ask black folk, and I joke about taking black cards back. I will take back your black card if you have not connected with local black groups. 
And when I say local black groups, that can be religious groups. If y'all folks are religious, that's on you, but it can be them. Some of these local black religious groups actually do health days where they will do things like prostate checks. They will do things like mental health scans. Some of them are doing COVID tests now and, and giving out free N95 masks. So the idea is, you know, white folks want, white folks and overall anti-black, non-black people around the world, they want black men to just be chilling in misery mm. and to coexist among other miserable black men. Like y'all just hanging out together, miserable, feeling, and pretending that you have no agency, no sense of knowledge. Despite thousands of years of African knowledges with five centuries on the Western Hemisphere alone, they want you to not know that why, because it was not taught to you by these white controlled schools. And they want you to not have the ability to learn beyond what's on the internet and beyond what some conspiracy theorist, extremist black man is teaching you that's false. That's what white people and anti-black, non-black people want. There are literally black groups, including some black religious groups, mm. who are actually showing you real information. Mm. You don't have to agree with everything. You can take bits and pieces and then take it to the next level of going to these um, these services. And you can also do, of course, internet searches for black men therapy in your city and, or county and see what they are offering you and give it a try. But uh, you can't say nothing exists. Black folk have been brainwashed by white people to say it doesn't exist. And then when I say, well, damn, you found those new ugly ass sneakers, but you can't find this on the internet. Mm. So you can't say it doesn't exist because you literally have not searched for it. Dr. That defeat personality. That's that's great. You know? Dr. Kimia, you're the best first guest ever. Because you're the first guest that I ever had on a Tuesday talk, I think. I think you were first, right? Yep. And now you're first for the new format. And this year, what we're planning on doing, we're going to be more concise. We're going to be more precise. We're going to hit the target a little bit more. And we're going to attempt to bring, we're not going to attempt, we're going to bring our groups and our peoples together. Whether you are a black male, black female, LGBTQ, everybody's welcome here. We may tell jokes about you from time to time. You might have to be a little bit thicker with your skin if you're going to listen to us on Thursday. But when we come here on Tuesdays, we're trying to make up for all of that. Okay? Especially you, Rob, because you're bad. You're bad, Rob. You've Rob always is got not bad. bad. It's John really? X. John that's, X. That's, that's, your, that's your story. <laughs> but here's the thing: like, don't make, don't. I don't want Black LGBTQIA people to think that you all really make like homophobic, transphobic jokes on Thursdays. No. I, want, I want your listeners to know that that's not what happens. Because, no. you know, a lot of people might be like, oh, snap. Like, that's not what they do. They make jokes. They're yeah. goofy. But they, they know better than to do that. Oh, yeah. We're trying to get everyone to understand and have conversations in a different way than what they're giving you. Because if you follow the rules that are out there right now, we're we're rule breakers. And we break rules that don't make any sense. We're all just people trying to figure out the best way to get about our day and everything. And we're all family, one way or the other. So we exist, we're here, we're not shutting up, and we're not going anywhere. We're all allies. We're all friends. Here's the thing. You know, looking at this, you and I talked about this, the span of gender, gender variance, sexuality, asexuality. We've actually talked about that in another podcast. 
yeah. session. So I want to make gains. I do. I want to make gains. So listen, we're gonna wrap up the conversation, Doctor Kimia Naru Dennis, with your lovely dreadlocks sitting out there. Holla! Good to see you again. Good to see you again, Mr. Robert Brooks from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Aloha. My dude. My dude. Love you, dude. Born in Trouble, Tuesday Talks. We appreciate this. Men's Mental Health. Go out and get you some. Peace. Peace.